0: every day. In the book of Hebrews, if you will, this morning, chapter number 12, the book of Hebrews chapter 12, and I I don't always try to theme services or or messages based on the time of year. Uh, There are a few things I do uh, teach on, usually like in Christmas time, I'll teach on the Tower of the Flock, um, but I don't always try to... Do, for instance, a Mother's Day message on Mother's Day or uh, a 4th of July patriotic message on 4th of July. I just try to see what the Lord has for that particular day. And uh, I've learned over the years that there are times that some people need a different message that day than just a day that themed the holiday that we were near. I don't always bring messages that are for the purpose of beginning or starting out a new year and yet this morning I think is one of those times where we'll do something along that line of as we have another year to serve the Lord I as I grow older and older and as I see more and more things happening I was talking to my mother this week on just watching the events of this world unfold and how we can almost read it uh, verbatim from the book of Revelation and see the time of God's coming is getting very near I believe and You say, well, Brother Greg, people have been saying that for 2,000 years, and they they are. There's one thing I'm absolutely, two things I'm absolutely certain of. One is, He is coming. I'm absolutely certain of that. And secondly, we're one day closer today than we were yesterday. And uh, I would say this, uh, we ought to live every single day, as though today's the day He's coming back. I'd love to write a book and put, He's... Reasons why He's coming back in 2024. And just put in there, we ought to live this way. Uh, We ought to live the the way He's living, uh, as though He's coming back every day. And because the truth of the matter is, we do not know when He's coming. If He does not come in 2024, I'll be surprised. But then again, I went to bed last night surprised He didn't come yesterday. And we ought to live this way. I don't always go to bed at night thinking, boy, I'm surprised he didn't come today, or I I, I wish he would have come today. But there are many nights, many days, that I think we ought to always look back and say, I'm surprised he didn't come today, or I wish he would come tomorrow. And living with that eternity in view, the idea that he can come at any moment, at any time, we've got a whole other 358 more days, 59 more days. It's a leap year this year, isn't it? Leap year this year. Uh, got a few more days, uh, one more day this year than we did last year to serve the Lord. And if God does not come back, we need, to, we need to be redeeming that time. We need to be buying it back. We need to be making sure we're making good use of it. And uh, I would say this, it, if there's anything I could urge us to do in the new year, it would be to live every single day as though this is the last day we have on this earth. Whether by death or by the rapture, God could take us at any moment. And we ought to be living such a way. We spent some time in Sunday school this morning and last Sunday in Psalm 12 dealing with the idea that sin has lost its sinfulness. But can I say this? Not only has sin lost its sinfulness, but our expectation of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ has lost its uh, imminence to us. The fact that it is an imminent return, that it can happen at any time. It is going to happen. And we've lost the idea of living consciously with eternity in view. Uh, just because He hasn't come in my life doesn't mean He's not coming tomorrow. Just because He didn't come last year or last month doesn't mean He's not coming tomorrow. Or for that matter, before we get out of church today. Well, wouldn't that be wonderful? I'd love that. I think most of us would. If you're here today, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I would say this. You ought to get that settled now because you don't know. I told somebody, I was teaching a group of young people a few years ago on the issue of salvation. And I said, if I knew at your age what I know today, and I was not certain of my salvation, I said, when the invitation came in the church service, I wouldn't walk, I'd run to the altar, making certain I was saved. I do not want to have to see anybody that I know or that I love or that I'm friends with, go through the tribulation period to experience those things that the Bible says that they will experience. I don't want them to experience the the tortures and the uh, terribleness of hell. I, I want them to enjoy the blessings of the Lord forever in heaven. I want to rejoice with them in heaven. And I would urge you and encourage you in that. Hebrews chapter 12, if you will. We're going to read a few verses here. In Hebrews 11... We have what's called the faith chapter. This is the chapter that uh, the Bible talks about by faith Abraham, by faith Moses, by faith Jacob, um, by faith uh, uh, Gideon and uh, Rahab and uh, all these other folks that are mentioned. We call it the, the hall of faith or the, the chapter of faith or the faith chapter of the Bible. As we get down to verse number 32 of chapter 11, it says, And what more? shall I say, for time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and Jephthah and David also and Samuel and of the prophets. And the truth is, you could go on and on and on teaching of the faith of Old Testament uh, characters that are given to us in Scripture. And then not to mention the multitudes. (coughs) In verse number 33, it says, Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, Righteousness obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. By the way, wouldn't it be good if we had a people today that had the kind of faith that would produce those kind of works? We live in a day where our faith is so weak and so anemic and we don't act upon it. We don't. Uh, somebody said years ago, we ought to expect great things from God and then attempt great things for God. And the, the, the problem we have in our world today that I see is a lot of us expect great things from God, but then we never attempt great things for God. We never step out in faith and do the works of faith. And these folks, they did an amazing uh, work, not because they were amazing, not because they had an incredible uh, personality or incredible charisma about them, not because they had incredible abilities, but because they had an incredible God, uh, one that was supernatural, one that was all-powerful, one that was all-knowing, that they just simply put their faith in and said, Lord, you say You say where to go and I'll go. You say what to do and I'll do it. My answer will be yes. And they followed Him by faith. Women, verse number 35, received their dead, raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yet moreover of bonds and of imprisonment. And they were stolen, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Boy, that wasn't what I signed up for in the Christian life. But let me ask you something. If it came to that, would we have the faith to endure? Would we have the faith to endure such things? Such affliction? Such persecution? Notice what the Bible says here, verse number 38, "...of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, and in mountains, and in dens, and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through the faith, received not the promise." God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, the writer of Hebrews now is going to give us a list of things that we should be doing. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, we come to You once again. We ask for the next few moments that You would help us to lay aside the cares, the burdens, the stress of this life. Those things that so vie for and compete for our attention in this world, things that distract us, things that would cause us to not have our minds on things of eternity. May you deliver us from such, and I pray that you'd help us to live daily with eternity in view. Lord, I'm thankful that Brother Norm got his matter of salvation settled a number of months ago and made certain of that. But Father, may it not take the news of a terminally ending illness to get us to live each and every moment of each and every day as though it were our last. Help us this morning as we come to Your Word and may Your Holy Spirit teach us some things and admonish us in some things that will be helpful for us in the day that we live, that will help us to live in a way that would reflect the fact that You are coming again, that You can come at any moment, that You can take our lives at any moment. Lord, may we be found doing the work and being diligent. May we be found living the life that we're supposed to live when the time comes for our departure. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice a few things here as we get to verse number 12. The Bible says, wherefore, what's the next verse, word here? What is it? Verse number 12, or chapter, chapter 12, verse number 1. Wherefore, what's the next word? Seeing. We also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. I would say this, that one of the great problems in our, our Christianity is that we are blind to certain things that we really should be aware of and that we should be able to see. Our, our prayer to the Lord ought to be, Lord, open my eyes. There are some things that bear witness in my life. There are things that are, 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 are prudent for me to be aware of and to understand. In in the context of this this particular verse, He's speaking here of those that were around that had like faith as those that were mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 who were watching and their eyes were all them. and I would say this, there are a few things we need to be aware of when it comes to having our eyes open, because we're living in a day where we have gone to sleep. We have uh, The Bible tells us that in those last days we should awake, thou that sleepest. Our eyes should be open. We ought to be aware of things. We ought to be walking circumspectly. We ought to be the watchman that's on the tower. It's not time for God's people to be asleep or to be unaware or to be apathetic towards certain things. It's time for our eyes to be open, for us to be alert and awake and diligent, watching for several things. There are several things I think we ought to be uh, keenly aware of that we ought to be able to see, that I believe in the day we live, uh, we are prone to not seeing. First of all, is that there are Christians that are watching us. There are those that are saved that look at our lives and they're seeing how we're walking and living our lives and they're either encouraged or discouraged to follow the Lord the way they should based upon our testimony in often cases. But not only do Christians see our lives, I want you to notice, secondly, that the unsaved people see us. We need to be aware of this. We need to be alert to this. We need to be understanding this. Seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, whether it be the saved or whether it be the unsaved. And can I tell you this? There's one other one that we need to consider, and that is this. The Lord Jesus Christ sees us. Because the saved see us, and our testimony is at stake. Because the lost see us, and the gospel is at stake. Because the Lord Jesus Christ sees us, and our pleasing Him is at stake there are some things that ought to take place. If there's one thing I can get across today beyond even the things that need to take place that are written here by the writer of Hebrews, is this, that there is a need in the first part of this year for you and I to come to the Lord and say, Lord, open my eyes. Help me to live each and every day with my eyes aware of these things, with my mind consciously keen and alert and aware of the fact that there are people watching me both the saved and the lost, that there is a Savior in heaven that is watching me. Lord, may I live every moment of every day with this in view. Wherefore, seeing, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. There are some things then that ought to take place. First of all, we need to lay aside every weight. By the way, let me just say this. There's sometimes when God gets a hold of my heart about some issue, and I know there are some things I need to get right with the Lord, and I'll deal with some of those, but not all of them. You ever been there? There's some we just don't want to let go of yet. Lord, those aren't that bad, and they're they're really not sinful. Maybe they keep me from doing all that I should do as a Christian, but they're really not a sinful thing. They're not contrary to Scripture. I really like to just hang on to that one if I could. What was it that Jesus taught about one who would gain his life? said he would lose it. And yet those that would lose their life for his sake would gain it. We so often live entangled and encumbered with the cares of this world and those become the important things of life. And the truth of the matter is, Jesus spoke in John, in Matthew chapter three, uh, chapter six, and verse number thirty-three, that that we should not think those things. He said, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness." And all these things, these these things he had spoken of before that about living life and about what we are going to eat and what we're going to drink and what we're going to be clothed with. He said, "All these things shall be added unto you." Why is it we get so enamored with the affairs of this world and so encumbered, and I would say this, so distracted by the things of this world? You say, why is that important? Because we're surrounded with people who are watching, with the Savior who is watching, with the lost world who is watching. Satan we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, And I want you to notice this. And the sin which does so easily beset us. You know, one of the greatest prayers you and I can pray, I believe, is, Lord, search my heart. I I, I think that most of us here today would say, my desire is that I would not sin and that I would not displease God. And yet, we find ourselves often enough willingly sinning because of our flesh nature and the desires that it has. And willingly sinning and stepping into sin. But sometimes it's important that we come to the Lord and say, Lord, search my heart. There may be some things that I'm doing that I'm not supposed to. There may be some things I'm not doing that I should be, that I'm not aware of. And I would say it this way, it is very easy for you and I to become accustomed to sin in our lives and we don't even regard it as sin anymore. I'm talking about God's people. Not those that are lost, not those that have had their consciences seared. But it is possible just by the fact that we have not dealt with the sin and we've allowed it to continue in our lives. We've not come to the Scriptures and seen uh, what it says about our sin. That we have grown so accustomed to it that it is not sin in our eyes anymore. You say, how do you know that? Because this is what the Bible says. Look what he says here. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us. You know how much effort it takes for a sin to become a besetting sin? Almost none at all. You know how much it takes to get rid of that sin in your life? Sometimes a whole lot. Once a sin becomes a besetting sin, it gets harder and harder, not only for us to get rid of it, it's harder and harder for us to see it even as sin. Sin loses its sinfulness. We were dealing with that in Sunday school this morning, how that because of the fact that we are so uh, involved, we're so in the middle of a a perverse uh, world, in a a world that is uh, uh, quickly and, and and just rapidly spiraling down in their moral deprivation and the fact that they have no moral conscience about them, no moral center that is based on God's Word, and we're living in their midst that because that sin is getting worse and worse and the world is getting worse and worse, we are prone to drifting right along with them. And while there may be some distance from us, we tend to still gravitate towards that Sin not being as sinful as it used to be. We talked about it in Sunday school a little bit this morning. That there are sins that used to be sinful that now churches bring right into the doors of their churches with no conscience. Things that in my lifetime we looked at it and said that's 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 deviant. That's against God's word. That's contrary to what the Bible teaches. I was amazed the other day as I watched a clip of a a church, it was a, it was a Southern Baptist church, first, a First Baptist church, I'm not going to say where it was at. <coughs> they had hung the rainbow flag out in front of their church and said all, we're, all diversity is welcome. Now folks, I will, I will do all I can to help a homosexual that's wanting to come to the Lord Jesus, but I am not going to welcome with open arms their sin. It's not going to happen. If they want to know Christ as their Savior and get that matter settled and get that sin out of their life, I'll help them any way I can. But I'm not going to sit there and put my arm around them and say you're okay living the way you're living. Because you're not. Any more than I would do that with any other type of person that committed some big moral sin in their life. Yet, it used to be that shacking up with someone, living with someone in... Outside the bonds of marriage was something that even unsaved people looked at as deviant. And now you got them joining as members of churches and being a part of the services and being in their choir and teaching Sunday school classes and nothing said of it. Why? Because sin, if we're not careful, can easily beset us and it loses its sinfulness. You say, Pastor, do I really have to make sure that I look at sin in a sinful way? I think we need to see it in the eyes of the Lord Jesus. I think we need to see it the way the Bible says it. And I believe it ought to be the prayer of every one of our hearts. Lord, open my eyes. Help me to see it. In 2024, Lord, help draw my heart back to a place where i am seeing things the way Your Word says I should see them. I remember years ago, I was in sixth grade. And Mrs. Sherry Demon, dear friend of mine, and her and her husband and uh, the son are dear friends of our family and have known me, they, her and her husband have known me since I was born. And she was my sixth grade teacher. And I remember sitting in her class and I'd be like, Miss Dimmon, uh, can I move up? I can't I can't see what you're writing on the board. And so she moved me to the very front seat right in front of the board. And there were some times that even at, in the very front seat about four or five feet from the board, I still could not make out what she was writing on the board. I said, can I walk up to the board? And, you know, I was, I was one of those hyperactive, mischievous kids. I know that's hard for you to believe, but I was. I was one of those Dennis the Menace kind of guys. And I'm sure in her mind she's thinking, he's just doing this to disrupt the class. And so sometimes she'd let me come up, sometimes she wouldn't. But apparently she must have said something to my dad about it. My dad called me to his office one day and said, uh, he had he an had eye chart on the wall. I have no idea where he got it from. He's a pastor. He's not an optometrist. And he said, what letter? He had me stand about five feet away from him. He said, what letter can you see? I said, E. He said, what else? I said, that's it. He said, you're good. Go back to class. And I sat there for months in sixth grade and could not see the board. My grade suffered. I couldn't couldn't read what was on there. Finally, my mom, I think, must have been, or, or maybe the teacher kept after my dad. They got me an appointment to go see an eye doctor. I went to the eye doctor and uh, back then you had to order them wait a week or ten days to get them in and I remember the day we went to go pick them up and they put them on my face and we walked out of the little booth we were in where they put the fitting of my glasses in out to the cash register to pay for them and I could not believe it I could see prices on products that were behind the counter I had never seen them before I didn't know you could see them we walked outside, and I was amazed. I could see individual blades of grass out in the lawn. I never knew you could see those. In all of my life, I had never known. I knew if I got down and rolled in the grass, I could see them there. I knew they were there. But from 10 feet away, 20 feet away. And back then, the $6 million man was real popular on TV. I thought I had bionic eyes. I'd stand, I'm not kidding. I'd stand out there, sixth grader, at my doorstep, and I'd look down the road and see just how far I could actually see. I was amazed at it. Can I tell you this? I didn't even know that I could not see. And I bring that to our lives because there are sometimes we get so enamored with the things of this world, and this world so beats down our moral center if we allow it, that we will begin to have these sins beset us, and we won't even realize that we can't see them. It will just be what's normal. I remember asking some people, does everybody get to see like this? I looked up in trees. I didn't know you could see individual leaves of the trees from the ground. I'd climbed a lot of them. Never knew that. If I take my glasses off now, I could not read my Bible sitting here. I'd see a blur of a page here. My eyes are terrible. May it be the prayer of my heart. That God helped me to see the sinfulness of sin in 2024. It may be the prayer of my heart that He would help me to see through the glasses of Scripture. Through the understanding of Scripture. Through the illumination of the Holy Spirit as I read these pages. That He brings that to light and that truth to light in my heart that I understand the sinfulness of sin. Why? Because there are people watching. There are Christians that are watching my life. There are unsaved people watching my life. And by the way, they're watching yours. And there is a Savior in heaven that is watching you. And seeing we are so compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. I've said this so often that when I was growing up in churches like this and biblically sound, I believe biblically sound, doctrinally sound churches, in the 70s and 80s and even into the 90s a little bit, it seemed like we were identifying ourselves by what we were not. I don't do this and I don't do that. Why? Because I'm a... I'm an independent Baptist and I hold to the King James Version of Scripture, so I don't do this and I don't do that. Can I tell you this? That's only half of the equation. It's not enough to just simply not do the things we're not supposed to do because a lot of us just sit back and say, I I, I must be okay because I'm not doing all that I'm not supposed to do. But are you doing what you're supposed to? Because the Bible doesn't only tell us how not to live, it tells us how to live. It doesn't only tell us what we shouldn't be doing in our lives, it tells us what we should be doing in our lives. I'll say this that our eyes need to be opened once again because just as easily as sin can lose its sinfulness, so can our service lose its importance and its its need for us to be diligent in it. We can lose the importance of serving you, we can lose the heart of serving you, we can grow cold and callous and become lax in our ways. We no longer seek for opportunities. For us to share the gospel with somebody who's never heard it before, we go to go through life and we get done with the end of the day, and maybe there were several opportunities that the Lord presented to us, and we didn't see a one of them. Our eyes were blinded. We we didn't even know that we couldn't see them. May the prayer of our lives be saying, "Lord, help me to see. Help me to see." He says, "Let us run with patience." It's going to take some patience. There's a lot that this world is going to do to discourage you. I'll say this. There's a lot that Christian people who are blinded are going to do to discourage you. And we need to learn to run with patience. It doesn't matter if somebody pats me on the back and says what a good job I'm doing. Even when I'm weary, my purpose is to keep on pressing on. You say, well, I don't, nobody encourages me in this, Pastor. It doesn't matter. There's a whole great host of witnesses that are watching. There are Christians that are watching. There's unsaved people that are watching. And there's a Savior in heaven that is watching. Whether anybody ever gives me any encouragement along the way or not, my duty is to be diligent in what God has given me to run the race with patience. It doesn't matter even that I don't get encouragement. It doesn't even matter if I even get persecution for it. It doesn't matter if somebody ridicules me and calls me a fool, or somebody says that I'm, I'm uh, uh, thinking that I'm better than somebody else because of the way I'm trying to live and please the Lord. It doesn't even matter if they're going to bring some ridicule or, or persecution my way, to falsely accuse me of things and, and to question motives and motives and cause me to uh, be discouraged and things. It, it won't matter because there's. You see a great cloud of witnesses that are watching. My testimony is at stake. The message of the Gospel is at stake. And whether or not I please my Savior is at stake. And so I press on. And I urge you, as the writer of Hebrews does all of us, run the race with patience Run it with patience. So what if you don't get that pat on the back in recognition for your service? So what if somebody falsely accuses you or questions your motives or speaks evil of you? I know people that have gotten out of the ministry. I know people that have quit churches. I know the people that are sitting at homes today and won't set foot inside of a church that named the name of Christ at one point, and all because somebody did something to hurt their feelings. They quit. Run the race with patience. Run it with patience. The race that is set before us. And I would say this May God help us to have our eyes opened when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and His continuing work in our lives. The Lord Jesus didn't stop working the day that He saved us. You know that? See what the Bible says here in verse number 2. The writer of Hebrews says, Looking unto Jesus, notice this, the what? Author and finisher of our faith. Aren't you glad that God doesn't just save us and then leave us to ourselves? He works in us day by day. He gives us His Holy Spirit to live inside of us. To bring illumination to His Word to bring conviction to our hearts when we're not following his word to lay that path plain before us that that race that he spoke of in verse number 1 that is set before us to make it plain to guide our steps to provide comfort in persecution to provide strength in time of discouragement He is the author and finisher of our faith. It is important that we have our eyes open to this. I remember years ago going to Bible college, and they would always teach us don't quit, don't quit, no matter what you don't quit. I think it was Dr. Bob Jones Sr. years ago that said, uh, Don't quit, don't quit. If the stars from fall from their silver sockets, don't quit. And I used to think I just need to grit my teeth. I need to get a stiff backbone and just make myself press on and on and on. And I'll tell you this, that when you do that without seeking God's strength in the process... You will become very weary in the way. You will become very frustrated in the way. And you'll get to a point in your life where you'll feel like you're empty. You have no more gas in the tank. You just want to throw your hands up and quit. And just, there's such a rest. When you do all that you can for the Lord Jesus, but you rest in His strength. Jesus said it this way, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest under your soul. He said, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When we get weary in the way, it's because oftentimes we're attempting to do God's work, and we may even be attempting to do it His way, but we're doing it without His presence, and without His strength, and without His power. May God help me to have my eyes open to my dependence upon Him for everything in my life. If I'm going to live holy, it's going to have to be because God helps me to do so. I'm not going to accomplish it on my own. If I'm going to be better at serving Him, it's going to have to be because He helps me. Because I can't, I can't do that on my own. If I'm going to see more fruit Born out in my life It's going to have to be Because He helps me Because I cannot do it on my own If there's one message I can give you At the beginning of this year It's to pray Lord open my eyes Open my eyes Help me to see clearly Help me to understand The weights The weights in my life help me to have again a renewed understanding of the sinfulness of sin and help me to live with my eyes fully in focus that without Christ actively involved daily in my life I will never be able to accomplish all that He longs for me to accomplish that race that's set before me, I can't run it. Much less with patience. That sandwich just so easily beset me. I can't overcome that. Those weights, I can't. I can't have victory over those unless God helps me through them. His strength. Rather than looking at all the problems of our life, and rather than looking at all the things that beset us. Let's put our eyes upon the Lord Jesus. One of our great hymn writers wrote years ago, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. If I want to be blind to something, I want to be blind to the things of this world. I want to be so focused on my gaze Upon the face of the Lord Jesus, His will, His desire, His word, that the things of this world, they just drop off into oblivion. I don't see them any longer. We're living in a day where the opposite of that is often true. We begin to love the world. We love the things of the world. And because of that, our view of the Lord Jesus becomes dim. And the sin besets us, and the weights come. And we do not run with patience the race that is set before us. We've got a choice to make, each of us. I can't make it for you, and you can't make it for me. It's something each of us must come to the Lord personally and make the decision in His presence and say, Lord, this is what I'm going to commit to you. I want to commit to put my eyes upon you this year. And help me to see things more clearly. That I may live more the way You want me to live. Open my eyes, Lord. Open my eyes. That I can see all of these things that You want me to see. I don't know what's going to happen in 2024. But if God does come back, wouldn't it be wonderful... If He could come back and we look up and we see His face and He finds us diligently doing what we should be rather than having the shame of being blinded to the things that we should have been doing. May the Lord find us faithful this year. Let's stand together, shall we? With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. Give a few moments for the Lord to work in hearts and allow us to make some decision for him. And I would say this if you're here.